I would like to speak now directly to Jacob Anderson. <laughs> when I was doing my little joke about, oh, I'm very happy right now. If you want to adopt that as an acting technique, you may have it free of charge. Oh, my God. Can I speak directly to Sam Reed? I mean, <laughs> it's your podcast. Do what you want, girl. Okay. <laughs> Sam, call me. <laughs> well, that was so surprising. Nobody could have guessed that. Sam. Have you ever been to the Poconos in winter? <laughs> Poconos are lovely this time of year. Greetings, savory inferiors, and welcome to Vampire Insider, the unofficial podcast dedicated to recapping and reacting to AMC's new television series that reimagines Anne Rice's interview with the vampire and is a part of the immortal universe. In each episode, host Joanne Palumbo, Christina LaRusso, and myself, Mark Snedeker, summarize the episode, talk about Easter eggs, discuss standout characters, interrogate inconsistencies between the book and the series, dissect our favorite characters and their arcs and provide a body count please join us now as we dive into our season review and discuss some of the things we're thinking about for next year hello christina larusso hello mark snedeker wow hello joanne palumbo hello mark snedeker hello christina larusso how are we tonight we're well, good. we're all here with both of our names. We're, we're, we seem to be very confused about how to greet one another. Yeah. All right. Here we are discussing the entire season, the season recap. My God, that seems like a lot of work. It is. Are you sure about that? Interview with a vampire. I am very excited to do it, but I do want to talk about what we have in store for the podcast. All right. So, Joe, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the things that we have coming? We are going to be doing a discussion on the Vampire Lestat, the book. We have a psychologist coming who is going to help us understand the relationship dynamic between Louis Lestat and Claudia. We have a historian that's going to come and discuss basically the history during this season and uh, come January, we do have, uh, I think the 8th is when Mayfair Witches premieres, and we will be recapping that as well. Yep, that's right. We are also going to be doing the Witching Hour uh, book review to get us primed for the Mayfair Witches. We did receive a fan recommendation from Sojo83, who suggested that we do a panel of people through all different generations and how they've come upon the book, what they think. Do they read the book before they watch the show? I think that's a great idea. I love that idea. I think it's going to be a terrific episode. I feel confident that I will be able to have some Gen Xers and some millennials that would be willing to do this. I am hoping and I'm putting it out there. Gen Z, if you're listening to us, I don't think that we have a huge Gen Z audience, but if there are any of you out there who are listening to us, we'd love to hear from you. So please hit us up at vampireinsider at gmail.com. I feel like I am so in touch with today's youth. Oh, boy. That I could do the Gen Z part. I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could. You no, know. no. Are you sure? No. But uh, that might be fire. But some of the be lit. Oh, <laughs> wow. See, this is why this is exactly why I should do it. What I will say is that some of the most interesting reads, because I do follow some Gen Z people on Twitter and some of the most interesting reads I see are Gen Z people. So I'm excited for what we have coming. Well, guys, it, I'm kind of it's so bittersweet, right? Like this is the end of 
season one or part one, whatever they're calling it, as much as, you know, I'm looking forward to part two, it's so far away. But Mark, what was your take, your general overview of the, the season as a whole? I feel like it was really a lot about vampires. A little bit, right? I was confused. No. So I think just consistent with my take throughout this season has been, I am mostly trying to judge this show on what they're putting in front of us. Of course, you know, we reflect on the spirit of Anne Rice's books. We talk about differences between the books and the show, but mostly I'm focused on the show and it was incredibly well done. The uh, cinematography is beautiful for a TV show. The historical setting and the costumes were amazing. The actors, you really can't say enough about how great a job they did. And I was entertained and pulled along with the story each week. And that's what you're looking for from a show. I think it was great that they offered us so many opportunities to kind of find those little hidden nuggets. I probably learned more about art this season than I have in the last 10 years, just analyzing all the paintings behind behind them in, in Dubai. I am confident they're going to do a equally great job in season two. I'm excited to see what where the Armand thing goes. I think on average, I probably had the most positive take week to week. You liked the every, three of us. You liked every yeah. episode. I liked every episode. Joe and I were. And I will be their apologist from here on out. So, you know, AMC at me. What's up? There were moments where Joe and I were critical of certain elements. Yeah, I agree. Mark was definitely not on our side on a lot of things that we didn't like, and that's okay. I didn't initially care for Claudia. I still don't like her in that first episode. Obviously, I don't like the reveal of Armand. But overall, I just I can't say enough good things about it. You know, of course, there's going to always be something, right? There's always going to be one little thing that irritates you or you just don't get. It was there for me, and that's okay. Overall, I, I just, I give it a 10 out of 10. It was just so good. Mm, I don't think you're allowed to do that. Well, I am. And I did. You can't say it's perfect and then say it's imperfect. <sighs> I enjoyed it fully. I was completely engaged with it from start to finish. Even though there were elements that I was critical of, I can overlook those. The show stands very well on its own. It stands to bring in new audience, people who haven't been exposed to the source material can come to this show. They've done a good job of making it accessible. They also show a tremendous reverence for the spirit of the source material, even though it strayed in many big and little ways from what the source material was. I think most of the decisions that they made were so fantastic. Most people, I would guess, who like the source material also like the show. I have purposefully stayed away from other podcasts and other reviewers. I didn't want to be influenced by anyone. I wanted to come to this with my own read. So I'm really looking forward now to going back and listening to other people's podcasts. And see how they ripped you off? I'm No. And I'm starting to... <laughs> they might. You don't know. You haven't listened to them. I can't imagine no anyone would do that. I also am curious because I am seeing more and more, in fact... On Twitter today, there has been circulating a woman who was extraordinarily critical and gatekeeping. Now, most times when I see people who like on the IMDb reviews that were not fans of the show, it was really rooted in racism or 
homophobia. Well, homophobia. Yeah. And I kind of dismissed that. But I saw this woman talking today and I thought to myself, this isn't necessarily that. She is trying to express disdain for the show from a position of I'm a member of the deep fandom and we just don't like it. I mean, you know what that is? <laughs> gatekeeping. It's gatekeeping and angertainment. Yeah. It fits in with sort of outrage culture. And what I found myself thinking is if you didn't like it, you knew you didn't like it after one episode. What are you doing still reviewing it? You say, you know what? This isn't going to be for me. I'm out. Yeah. But there's there's a certain amount of pearl clutching. I think oh, that feels absolutely. good to people like that. And I'm not trying to drag anybody who's doing something for a hobby. It's a hobby that she's doing. She clearly loves the source material. Can't fault her on that. But her hot take was hot trash. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I said, I feel <laughs> the urge to tweet in response a quote from Daniel Malloy at this person <laughs> I know, so that they know what's up. And honestly, look, outrage gets clicks. All right. Let's be real. To call into question then like, okay, you like this. So therefore you're not a part of the deep fandom. It's like, what in the hell? What even is a deep fandom? Yeah. I couldn't get through two minutes of that woman. Yeah. It's too gatekeepy. I don't understand. I just, I don't understand that kind of, right. that kind of thinking <clears throat> because the show is good. They've, they've put a ton of effort into it. They've, the writers have put a ton of thought into how they're adapting the material. It's never going to be a strict translation. You can't do that. You can't, it would be impossible to do that. I mean, right. you can't take a book and make it into well, a here's, movie. Here's the thing. If you if you want a strict translation, get the audiobook. You know, that's yeah, the only way you're that's ever the only way get you're it. gonna get it. Just to go back a little bit, I think it's very brave of both of you to have staked out some negative positions on this show, even though overall you really love it. I feel it could restrict you in the future, so I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do. When I'm sitting on the couch with Sam and Jacob oh. and we're just chilling on TV, we're talking about the show because AMC is like, are you going to tell Sam I hated his accent at the beginning? <laughs> yeah. Bastard. Uh, when we're just chilling and, you know, exchanging Australian accents and stuff oh, on the God. show. Because how, how AMC is going to say, we like that Mark. He's so positive. <laughs> and they bring me on. I will give you guys, I'm just going to tell you right now, if I just put my finger on the side of the, on my nose, that's me saying what up to you guys. Oh, okay. Thank you. I mean, I can't say your names because you know, you'll be dead to me at that point <laughs> but i definitely will acknowledge you in that very subtle and not an unspecific way i prefer the ear tug all right yeah. whatever you want carol burnett uh, i'll give you the ear tug then. <laughs> um all right so let's talk a little bit about first of all who is your standout character from the season? Oof. Let's go there first. If you had asked me this question, and I think we, <laughs> I think I answered it multiple times very early on, and I was like, Claudia, 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 let's stop. Cut Claudia off. I've been thinking about it long and hard today. I knew that was going to shock you guys. You're definitely not getting on that couch with yeah, her. I know. Holy cow. <laughs> I'm going to have to defend like my association with you when I'm in this interview. <laughs> We were standing Claudia with the exception of the first episode that she was in and the last episode where you've now abandoned her in favor of your boy toy. Yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah, it's sexual. It is. For you. Yeah. Which is fair. I mean, you know. Listen, I think we established this. I like my vampires hot and sexy and delicious. And not only did Sam Reed give me that, but he gave one hell of a Lestat. Just so devious and cunning and 
evil and it was just everything that I wanted him to be and just a little bit extra more. I have to pick him. For me, it's Louis. This is Louis's story. Everybody else is there in relation to Louis. The TV show is not the Vampire Lestat, although elements of his book are clearly going to be in there. This is interview with the Louis. All these characters are here in relation to Louis. Is he the strongest character? No. As Jacob says, I'm emo. I'm a sad boy. He's not the most flamboyant. He's not the most gregarious. He's not the most devious. He's not the most violent. But this is his story. So for me, it's Louis. And by the way, Sam Reed is an amazing actor. He's got a huge future in front of him. For sure. He's going to get a lot of good, juicy roles, I hope. But he definitely deserves them. And Bailey is amazing. I think she's going to grow into a great actress. She already is an extremely good actress. And she's so young and so good. It's, it's remarkable. I think the person with the hardest job there is Jacob. Because he can't just be extra all the time like Sam Reed can. And Sam Reed does an amazing job and he is subtle when he needs to be subtle, but Louis has to be like conflicted all the time and he's violent and then nurturing and he has to really have a lot of range. And again, this story rotates around around Louis. So I'm going to say Louis. I'm really torn about this because if I say who I really think it is, Rashid. Go with your instinct. There's no wrong or right answer, Christina. Claudia is my other choice. I would say for me, it's equally Claudia and Rashid, but I'm going to talk about Claudia. Here's why I'm going to give it to Claudia, because for me, the one part of this retelling or reimagining of the story that, as I've said, is the aging up of Claudia. I found that to be the most problematic, and that is because I am very attached to the idea of that baby vampire, not just because the image of that is so powerful and tragic, but because I understand that in some way that's Anne Rice speaking about her daughter. Right. I clung to that, but Bailey's performance as Claudia and this aging up of her was 100%, I think, the right decision in the end. The baby Claudia is still out there. I can still access that character if I want to and I can read the book. But aging her up has opened up so many more interesting conundrums for us to go forward. I am so excited to see how her arc concludes, presumably, in season two. There was a level of difficulty in what Bailey had to do with this character that was more than what Sam had to do and more than what Louie had to do. I agree. Interesting. We had on our spaces last night, River was speaking, and I 100% agreed with them about this. There's a part of her that does mature just by nature of, you know, she reads, she she's educated herself, she's aged to be 30-some years old, but there's also still that 14-year-old inside of her. And there were moments when you could see that come out and she was so subtle and so it was so it was done so powerfully. And you know what she didn't have is the crutch of makeup and costume. Well, costume a little bit, but the crutch of makeup, because when normal actors are playing a young version of someone and then an older version of some, they give them gray hair. Mm -hmm. They put some prosthetic wrinkles and stuff. They hunch over a little bit mm -hmm. and that makes the acting easier. Right. She can't do that. Right. She has to, she remains, she remains ostensibly the same. And in fact, her, 
her transformation to dressing in a more mature way is a part of her character's growth. Right. Correct. Of course, yeah. she looks the same because she's a vampire. You're so fooling no one, she, little girl. She was fantastic. Claudia is my standout character of the season. And uh, Godspeed, Claudia. <laughs> we don't know that. We're going to miss you. <laughs> <laughs> Next season. And now let's hear a word from our sponsor. The most frequent comment in the reviews of Gen X Temporaneous is about the spectacular chemistry between the hosts. If you ask any, and, and when I'll, I'll Wait, just okay, I'll limit but it, it doesn't to, matter, but I'll the residual it. effect. I'm talking over you and I'm going to do it. Don't give me that look. I mean, Enjoy the podcast. You are clutching your pearls. Hi, I'm Christina from Gen X Temporaneous. This is a podcast where I come up with an idea, I do some research, I grab a bottle of wine, I bring everything to my co-host Mark, and he pontificates. We have covered topics ranging from the war on science and Gen X nostalgia, including life lessons from 80s movies, to the crisis of meaning where we reported on a Gen X fandom creeping closer to cult on the daily. We release an episode every Friday on all your favorite platforms, so come and check us out. We're bound to cause you to clutch your pearls at some point, but we're Gen X. We got our sensitivity chips late in life, and we're still learning how to use them. So we've talked each week about the character arc of the individual players. They don't always make progress or have change or even regress, but they've definitely changed from episode one to episode seven, which is what you're really looking for from a story. Somebody has to make some progress. You can't just have stagnant characters. So we're always very interested in that. Um, so let's start talking about the character arc. We're going to start... Uh, with Joni Lestat. Okay. What do you got, Jones? From beginning to end, the overall arc for Lestat wasn't as much of an arc. He didn't really change too much throughout. He started out a cold-hearted bastard and he went out a cold-hearted bastard. There were some moments in between where there was some, you know, levity and fun. They, you know, went to the movies and he danced around with his little hat and bow tie on for her birthday and taught her piano and driving. And overall, I, I think he didn't really change too much. Um, I think what we're going to see in part two is the real growth of Lestat. I'm going to agree with you who he is, who Lestat is, is who he is. I'm also going to agree with you that in the second season, we're going to see more of the change. I think you're going to probably, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Going back to Mark's remark from last week's episode, the closest that you come to seeing Lestat humbled is his death scene or his near death scene. For sure. Because as Mark very astutely pointed out, he didn't know he was going to get out of that alive. His response was sort of just like, okay, I'm glad it's you who's here with me. He knows he has to die because the only way they can really move on or there any anybody because he's trapped in this situation as much as they are. They're all trapped in this toxic bond. He's no innocent lamb, no, he's but they're not. definitely trapped. But they're all trapped. And and the only way I think that he thought one of the ways that he could change things was Claudia die. We didn't talk about it. Antoinette is the one that does it, right? Right. He was holding Louis. They're pushing her to drink the twin's blood when they thought that the twin was the one that was poisoned. So right. she's trying to push Claudia into the twin to drink it. He intended to kill Claudia. No. 
So it's either him or her. He knows something has to give here. And in the end, obviously, it was him. And he there was a moment of if it's not humility, it's resolution. This is going to be it for me. So I do think that there was that glimmer of it. But yeah, I basically think that Lestat is the one that moves the least in terms of art. Clearly, you're both correct in that he doesn't, quote unquote, grow, right? The character doesn't grow much as a, as a person over the series. I would argue a little bit that becomes he becomes more and more Lestati. He gets more and more reckless. He's very obsessed with Louis in the beginning, but then he gets more desperate. His love bombing is just like ramped way up when he's trying to win him back. And he, he's more and more reckless with the relationship because he's basically making it obvious that he has a side piece. So he's, he gets more 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 self-destructive and uh, impetuous. And I think that's consistent with the Lestat of the books. Mm-hmm. If you haven't read the vampire Lestat, spoiler alert coming, but as he gets closer and closer to the San Francisco concert, people are telling him like, dude, the the elder, the elder ones and the other vampires are going to come for you if you do this. And he's like, well, they're like, why are you doing this? He's like, well, I want to see what happens. Uh, I, there are two two things that are going on with Lestat that intrigue me. One is I think he's bored and he pushes yeah. boundaries because what the right. fuck else? He's right. You he's know, like, I've killed people in pretty much any way, I, every way I can kill I've, them. I, I'm like the ultimate edgelord. I've done everything that I can right. possibly do. How can I now push boundaries even more? Right. And it's a way for him to be excited and feel alive. Like, I love this relationship with Louie. Let me put it at risk. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to let it ride on, you know, on number 13 and just spin the wheel yeah. and see what happens. Yeah. He might have that gambler mentality where mm-hmm. he gets something, he likes it, and he puts it at risk because it's exciting. Well, it's a little bit of self-sabotage. You know, if you think about his fear of abandonment, in some ways, people that are like that, will number one self-sabotage in the relationship because they're anticipating that they're going to be left anyway. He's kind of manifesting it. He is manifesting it, Joe. And so he, so it's sort of like, you know, I know I'm going to lose you anyway, so I'm going to act crazy in the relationship and that will help that will speed that process along. But also I don't want to be alone because I hate to be alone. So let me line up somebody else so that I can. And and Lestat, as I said, is this chronic companion creator and he keeps creating these companions who are. They don't behave in the way he wants them to. Right. But he wants them to behave the way he wants them to of their own volition, which is contradictory. Well, and that plays out very much with Claudia. Because Claudia, there are two things with Claudia, though, and Lestat, and I want to talk about this because we didn't, we haven't talked about it yet. One is that when, when Claudia is behaving the way Lestat expects her to behave, he loves it. He's, he's into it. He's cute with her. Joanne, you pointed it out, you know, they're having that happy family montage and all the rest. As soon as Claudia starts exerting herself in a way that Lestat doesn't like or it's outside of his control, then he becomes antagonistic to her. Now, to be fair, Lestat does try to parent her. In a way that Louis didn't. In really. a way that Louis didn't. Louis was indulgent of Claudia. He says to Louis, you've cut my hands off here. You've made it impossible for me to parent her. Yeah. And you're not doing a good job of it. She's kind of running roughshod. And then, of course, what ends up happening? You get Claudia with Charlie and then... Claudia, the serial killer, who yes. who has some kind of a, you know, well, a mental break yeah, and goes on her killing spree. There are some places here where Lestat could have been tried, maybe tried to be a better person th- right. than he ended up being able to be. He yep. was he had some roadblocks thrown up in front of him as well. 
Yes. He wasn't hugged enough as a child. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I agree with Christina, and I can't remember if Joanne agreed with this or not, but that he did show that brief moment of resignation, acceptance, and I would say, and I would argue humility when it's time for the throat cutting. Yeah, I agree with that. But I will bet dollars to donuts that having been given a reprieve, that lesson will be completely lost on him. 100%. You he's know, like, haha, I got away with it. Oh, yeah. He's not, <laughs> and he's not going to be so happy when he sees Louie again. He's not going to be like, well, you know, I, I get it. I get why you guys did it. No, I don't think it's going to go down like that. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I have, I, I'm very interested to see how this is going to go down because now he's going to confront Louie in a relationship with Armand. Who knows? Who knows what? Maybe he happen. pulls off his mask and it's Lou, it's uh, Lestat underneath, <laughs> underneath the Armand and also Claudia mask. Yeah, so it's, it's really it's double our- reveal. <laughs> it's me, Lestat. What's up? I'm the brat prince. <laughs> Let's party. Oh, my God. All right. So uh, let's talk about Claudia. Give me your take on the Claudia arc. Claudia's arc has been fantastic. Obviously, when we first meet her, she's this wild child. She's trying to reconcile the fact that she died, has been brought back to life. She now has this, you know, wealthy family, this daddy Lou and uncle Les. She's that spoiled child that they reference in the books and the movies. And, you know, she's given too much and she kind of gets annoying when she's jumping around in the coffin. And and it's because she was a 14 year old girl. As time progressed, we saw her turn into a little bit of an adventurer, try to go out on her own. And then when she came home, she turned into the nurturer and really brought Louis back from the brink of death fed him and made sure he was doing his physical therapy by chasing the goat, which was a funny scene. And then we see her turn into the adventurer again. And that little child where she's all giddy in the back of the train and in comes Lestat with his little hippity hoppity tickets, please dance and just crushed her spirits on that. That's when she turned into the mastermind that we got to see in episode seven and a little bit in episode six, when she beats him in chess, she starts figuring him out. She started out as this annoying child and ended the vampire that outwitted and outsmarted Lestat, a vampire, you know, hundred years older than her, who is arguably as, you know, as, well, not arguably, he is the most evil one we know right now. You know, there's more coming, but as of right now, he's the most evil vampire we know. And she outsmarted him. So that says a lot about her and, her arc has just been really great to watch. And that's a testament to Bailey Bass's acting ability. I, I cannot say enough about Jacob Anderson and Sam Reed. They deserve an award too, but she really, really, really deserves it. I just got a text from the vampire Armand. He says, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I know. That's why I said that we've seen so far. I mean, really... Like you have not seen a murder goblin until you've seen me. I know it's coming, but you know. I agree with Joanne, shockingly, because she's almost always wrong. Almost. (laughs) Claudia has the most definable arc. And she does make a lot of, I don't know if you call it progress, as you're descending into evil. But she does change, obviously, a lot from her initial making to the last episode there. So I found her to be a very accurate take on what a young teenage vampire would be like. And by the way, yeah, they'd be annoying as fuck. I mean, they're annoying just regular puberty. Give them superpowers and a thirst for blood. 
they're going to be pretty uh, intolerable. But she did progress from there. And, you know, they illustrate that by, you know, how much she's reading and researching and she goes on walkabout for, you know, a few years and um, just really uh, tries to I mean, better herself, but educate herself and really try to come to grips with what her life is like now. Mm -hmm. So you see her in the beginning where she's just like, you know, impetuous and hungry all the time and reckless. She becomes over time. And obviously at the end, it, it, you know, reaches its crescendo, a very patient schemer, right? So in the impetuous Claudia of the first episode could in no way have pulled that off. I don't think she's come to terms totally with who she is as a vampire, kind of this in, in this frozen state of adolescence. And I wouldn't expect her to. That's going to be her struggle, eternal adolescence and the difficulties that that presents her. I think you nailed it. I don't know what more I can really add to that. I guess what I'd like to maybe tease a little bit more out of is the idea that her personality really changed while there is still that youthful side to her. She has learned to curb that in favor of this patient yeah. and thoughtful and, and self-reflective, honestly, yeah. person who is able to, in the end, pull off this scheme. The one blind spot, as we mentioned in last episode, that she had was Louie. She trusted in their bond more than what was smart to do because his bond with Lestat was super powerful. And you know why I think that is? She's never experienced that kind of a relationship. She's never had a passionate, albeit wildly dysfunctional, relationship with somebody. Well, she did fall in love with Charlie. Right, but... How long did that last? She, she couldn't control she, she herself. She broke him on the first date. Right. Well, yeah. she couldn't control herself. Right. So she doesn't know what that decades-long love affair, what kind of effect that would have, because she's never gone through that. She has been able to do what neither Lestat, and I would argue definitely not Louis, could do, which is find a Claudia, find who she is and self-define. And she did that by breaking away from them. She went out and she did her thing in the world. And as traumatic as that experience was, and I also think misguided by the writers, but as traumatic as that experience was, she's still able to find out who she is and what she needs. And she realizes what she needs is to at least, at the very least, be away from Lestat. She again, it's a good start. She right? has again, she has this blind spot where it is, where it comes to Louis, where she thinks I better still have him around, and that may be out of necessity in the sense that she needs someone to protect her. I was just going to say, is it because Louis the lesser of the two evils? Yes, that's probably it, Joanne. Because she does talk shit about him in the diaries. We know that. In the diaries, she does. And and we know that in, you know, if you go back to the source material, that certainly is the case. She is very well aware that she needs a protector because, of course, she's a five-year-old. But in the series, she really could be on her own. And he says it to her. You could You can do this without me. You can be out there without me. Although one might say, Louis, can she really? She's not equipped to be able to protect herself. You know, she she meets Bruce and Bruce lets her live. Bruce could have killed her. I have a question for my good and wonderful friend and podcast partner, Joanne. Oh, Lord. Who's the most self-aware vampire in this show? Claudia. I would agree. Right. Because Louis, for all the time he spends navel gazing, oh, still has no fucking clue who he should be, what he wants to be when he grows up, you know, whatever. Lestat doesn't care about self-reflection. 
He's like, I am who I am. You know, I'm I'm extravagant. Well, then wouldn't you say that Lestat kind of knows who he is? No, because I think he's got the narcissistic blinders on where he just assumes everything's going to work out for him, you know, and he doesn't care enough to learn who he is. He just acts. I think he knows he's an asshole, and I think part of him wants to do better, but he just can't help himself. I'm not sure he does. I think he's acts shocked that Louis isn't as devoted to him as he expects. I don't think he understands that he didn't earn that from Louis. He wants that from Louis, but he didn't earn it. He just kind of demanded it and love-bombed his way to that point, but he didn't earn that kind of devotion and trust. He just he's he's like, well, why wouldn't you just love me the way I wanted you to love me? Just do it. I, well, I think that Lestat understands that or thinks that who he is is who he is. And that's great. And I think that he's OK with it. And, and he doesn't see the need for self-reflection. I think that this thing that just happened to him is going to make him pause and go, huh, you know, that's a lot. I mean, this is certainly one of the catalysts for him to start his sort of redemption arc. The Lestat in the series knows who he is and doesn't care that he's a bad guy. He just thinks, well, this is who I am. Love me the way I am. I'm worth loving. I'm fantastic. All right. So do you agree that Claudia is the most self-aware? Do you think Lestat is? No, I definitely think Claudia is the most self-aware of those three. Right. All right. Now we have a story arc that I would like to discuss. Character arc? Yes. Okay. Louis Louis. Okay. So for me, Louis' character arc kind of fell flat a little bit like Lestat's did. There was definitely some peaks and valleys, but overall he did not have anything quite like Claudia did. You know, we say a lot that Lestat needs a companion. Louis also does too, if you think about it. You know, he lost his brother who was his best friend, moved on to Lestat, moved on to Claudia. And I don't know if there's anybody in between yet, but now he's, you know, with Armand. And I think he's really more codependent than Lestat is. No, no doubt. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, no big revelation there, Mark. You know, I mean, really, did we see much growth within Louis? I'm not really sure that we did. We had moments of potential for growth. And then, you know, like, for example, when he was going to, you know, be on board with Claudia's plan to kill Lestat. And he went right back into that old habit of loving him again. And I, I just think he's like the quintessential, like, you know, I can't quit you kind of guy. I'm going to agree. I said it in the last episode, and this is really where my final answer is, is Louis starts out the series not really knowing who he is. And he goes through the series maybe thinking he's finding out who he is, especially during the breakup with he and Lestat. And he's doing his reading of self-help, Edward Carpenter. So he's reading these books and trying to understand, you know, different theories about marriage and relationships. So He's he's navel gazing a little bit, but he ends up just exactly where he was, which is now in a relationship with Armand. And he looks a little bit like a deer in the headlight. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little bit like, OK, I've made this decision. And now is this the right decision? He's he's the same guy because he just he can't find himself. I, I'm so happy. You know, for that last shot of Armand and Louis, I was reading, I guess Jacob Anderson said that the direction that he got 
was to think of the end of the graduate. Then they do this wild thing, which is Benjamin interferes with her wedding. Yeah. And she leaves and, and they're in the back of a bus sitting there. Yeah, we got exactly what we wanted. And yes, we got exactly <laughs> what we wanted. Right. So like what now? I think that that's just who he is right now. Hopefully we'll see some some movement in in season two. But really, if it stays true to the book, you you don't. Louis is who Louis is. And I, I, even throughout the books, Louis just kind of is Louis. There's always something that he's guilty about and that he's he he's second guessing. He never really likes he meant he never makes a decision that he really goes. Yeah, this was the right thing to do. And a lot of it, of course, is around Claudia. So depending on how they handle Claudia in the second season, you know, Louis got a lot that he's going to be carrying there. So now he's, you, you know, know how they're going to handle Claudia in the I know how they're going to handle Claudia with, with a dustpan. <laughs> Mark. <laughs> But you know what? Can we can we really give it to the showrunners, though? At least this Louis is not the whiny, annoying Louis from the books and the movie. He was he did have more of a backbone, not much, but a little bit. It, well, he did. And I think that what you also see with this Louis is what would be attractive about him. He is, first of all, physically stunning. Mm. And second of all, I mean, I'm not trying to objectify him, but my God, Jacob Anderson. <laughs> I wouldn't mind objectifying I him. mean, <laughs> he, as he said, you can't appear weak on Liberty. So he was putting on a facade that was different than who he really was. Well, his whole human life was a facade. Right, exactly. And that's and that's that's what I mean. So even before he was turned, that that person that Lestat is attracted to is a facade. And then Lestat says, you know, just come with me and all of this can go away and you can be all of the beautiful things that you are. Well, that's a lie. He's a blood drinking Willy Wonka, that guy. <laughs> that's a lie. Come with me. Exactly. <laughs> and you'll be in a world of pure murderation. <laughs> He's definitely got the, a really flat. There's not there's not much change from beginning to end now here comes mark yeah. to tell us why <laughs> come on mark we're wrong. tell us why we're wrong all right i will <laughs> if you insist first of all it's always important to remember that story arc does not always mean growth or improvement it can also mean spiraling descent etc i think it's very interesting to watch his internally divergent story arcs. Wow. Okay. We're getting so, fancy here. In the beginning, he is, of course, a closeted gay man of color in the South. So he is of necessity hiding who he is. I think probably still in a bit of denial internally. Well, yes, I had gay experiences, but those were just dalliances, right? Even though, you know, at core, he's definitely... He's definitely gay. But as we move through the series, that is no longer the case. And not even just in 2022, but at the uh, Mardi Gras ball, he's been living, you know, more or less openly with Lestat. Remember that one guy said, hey, you might want to add an extra bed to that bedroom if you're trying to keep this on the DL. So that part of him, he has accepted who he is and has embraced it. But I think he was more comfortable and at home in his quote unquote job on Liberty Street as a brothel owner, a gambling hall owner. He knew who he, he knew who he was there, right? I had to crack some heads. I'm running my business, I'm making paper, supporting my family. But now as he moves away from that human career or identity as, you know, a pimp, now he's trying to become 
this vampire person that he really just can't seem to get a grasp on what kind of vampire he wants to be. I would say from his identity and sexuality, he has grown and has accepted who he is. But the rest of his life, he's become less and less certain as he goes, because obviously, you know, he fucked up in his relationship with Lestat. He picked the wrong guy. So he, he that got fucked up. He fucked up with Claudia. Right. He couldn't figure out what kind of parent he should be. He just wanted to try to be the yes guy and make her happy. And that ended up not being what was called for. And then he he goes from obsessively loving uh, someone to participating in his murder. And then now here we see him in 2022 and he's still struggling. You know that he's picking the wrong guy again. So and he doesn't know who he is in 2022 because he's still struggling with that. And I think that's why he has Daniel there to help him define who he is and to write his history in a way that he can accept. So I think he does have a story arc. It's just not an improving story arc. I think that Louis is defined by the desire to be loved and to be seen. He keeps trying to find that from others but he has to get okay with himself first and he's i would argue that he's not okay with himself i think i think that he he's accepting of the fact that he's a gay man i think right that's what i'm saying that's his progress part but he has regress part on pretty much everything else but i i don't know that he was happy being a pimp i would challenge you there but i don't know that he's happy but he was he knew who he was then he was good at it he was a great provider he was good at it but i don't think that that was who he really wanted to be but i i do see what you're saying i still think that he starts the series not knowing who he is and at the end of the series he still doesn't know who he is he may not know who he is in a different way so uh daniel I mean, it's very difficult to define an arc because he's been there for like a week. I mean, you see young Daniel, but, you know, you can say arc from addict to now recovering addict, I guess. He has gotten a little, you know, a little more assertive and confident as this interview has moved on. When he went in, I feel like he was just like, all right, well, whatever. They're just fattening me up for the kill. I'm I'm not getting out of this alive, whatever. And he's really become he's become more of a reporter, as Christina, I think, pointed out in one of the episodes where he's really now taken that role of an of an investigative reporter more seriously and is really challenging Louis and then later Armand on the facts and the consistency of their story. So I think he's made that progress, but I obviously his big arc is yet to come mm-hmm. as we focus more and more on 2022 which you know is where i want to spend my time i think we'll see more from daniel but you know a bit of an arc insofar as we the amount of time that we saw him i would say he's had probably the least arc because he's not really there's no action around him he's not he's just asking questions he's yeah. us you know he's pretty static i think what was what was going on all along was that he was puzzling things out about Rashid and I and you know we also learned that he had started dreaming about Louis at, at his first meeting with Louis maybe he some memories for him are being awakened so I don't know if that's that's necessarily an arc but it is at least him having an opportunity to self-reflect you know because our dreams obviously tell us a lot about ourselves so yeah I mean I agree obviously with the both of you there there really wasn't too much of a change and the big change is you know yet to come but I I kind of disagree a little bit with Mark. I think that he kind of went into this entire 
interview, just not giving a fuck. He said to his editor, I'm interviewing the most you know, dangerous man in the world. And he's done nothing but mouth off to him. It's just because he just doesn't care. And, and even in the last episode, he's like, you know, what am I just another whore for you? Am I just like a stand in for Lily? Like that's not somebody who's not suicidal, you know, to say that to a vampire who he slapped the vampire. He slapped, right, right, right. He slapped him. He's a nihilist. Yeah. He doesn't care. But Louis, he, he does care. He cares about the story. He cares about the story. He's not really much for self-preservation when you're talking like that to what you've already dubbed the most dangerous man in the world who already tried to kill you. You think he cares enough that he's going to want to live forever? I do. Well, and it may be that he he does in season two, but he didn't want the gift in this. He spoke against it. He said, yep. no way. You That's know, like way. I get, uh, I'm not. It ain't over till the fat lady sings. No, and I think you'll probably end up being right. Uh, let's talk about Rashid then. He's the last one that I think we can speak to uh, as a main, as now a main character. And I would say it a huge arc. He went from being Louis' assistant to the the vampire Armand. That's a big, well. He didn't really change, though. He was just lying. He was just lying. So he had the biggest reveal. But he's, you know, at the end, he really does assert himself. So he goes from being Louis' assistant, doing all of these things. And Louis saying things to him like, Rashid, you're lingering or whatever. Yeah. You're lurking or whatever he says to him. But I say that to you all the time. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but so he goes from that to all of a sudden he's floating in the air and, and the vampire Armand, which to the audience, those in the audience who know that story, that's a big reveal. That's like, ooh, wow. Yeah. To people who coming to this have no knowledge of the source material all of a sudden this is the vampire armand the big news there is not necessarily part is yeah. not is is well that he's a that he's a vampire but also that he's the love of louis life right. right like that's the big news to people who come to this with no understanding of the source material so sure is <laughs> but the big news for us is that he's Armand and right. and anybody who's read the books knows that Armand is a is a bad bad guy powerful powerful guy uh and I mean there are people who stand Armand I I would probably be one of those I I like Ar I mean Armand guys love murderers that's what this whole thing is about you have to <laughs> you have to embrace the the fact that they are bloodthirsty predators that's all uh what my thoughts on it yeah what do you think on um well on I mean I think that yeah you're right that there's you know limited growth in the Armand story, other than we didn't know who he was. He could have been somebody from the Talamasca. He could have been random vampire Rashid. He could have just been some guy. Turns out he's Armand. So that's a big change for the audience. I mean, look, he's been alive for, what, 500 years or something mm -hmm. like that? He ain't changed a bit in these two weeks of uh, that we saw him in a Dubai. No, right? right. Not, a, not one lick. No. You know what I think about. Yeah, I know. You don't like the fact that he's Armand, but his character as an arc, do, do, just that. Do you, do you think he had one? I mean, really, two weeks. The actor himself did a really great job because like you had pointed out in one, one of um, our discussions, I don't know if it was last night on The Spaces or if it was a podcast, even though he was in the background, your eyes were always drawn to him. And that's so true. So as far as the arc goes, there's really not much. Yes, he started out the assistant and ends up Armand. But really, where you know, the last 30 seconds, we know he's Armand. So really, I don't have too much to add on that. Let's move on now to a couple of quick kind of sections before we wrap up so let's do best and worst 
So let's do, first of all, costume. Best costume for me is, I believe Sam Reed called it the black villain outfit. When he descended down in episode five and he's got that little tight cinched waist and he's wearing all black and mm, just looks super sexy. Did you just say, did you just groan in the middle of your <laughs> sentence? I did. <laughs> It's like, mm. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Shut up, Mark. <laughs> the worst outfit, I'm with Lestat, Claudia's pleated skirt. He didn't like it, and I didn't like mm, it. Okay, Mark? Best outfit has to be the Mardi Gras. Well, both Lestat and Louis pretty much have similar outfit. Well, Lestat's Marie Antoinette. Right. So I'm gonna let's go with that. That's going to be my the best one. The worst is uh, Claudia in the overalls. You don't like that? No. I mean, come on, you're a vampire. Be cool. You're not, you know. <laughs> She's dressing to, for comfort. She's dressing for herself. She looked adorable. I loved it. Get a stylish hoodie or something. Oh, I, don't know. I loved it. No, I loved it's it. not good. I loved That's her. That's a huge mistake on your part. Her, it was like a very 1930s hobo look, and I yeah, was here that, for well, it. That's not I loved it. I really did. Oh my God. It was also serving grunge vibes. Yeah, that's that's another <laughs> reason I didn't like it. So, no, that's those are um, that's the worst. All right, so one thing I want to mention about Lestat being Marie Antoinette was that well, if you've read the Vampire Lestat, he sees Marie Antoinette when he goes to yeah, Paris yeah. when he's still human and he's a poor, you know, struggling artiste, yes. uh, actor. You know, so he has that historical connection to her. He's seen the real thing. Okay, for me, the best costume was Marie Antoinette. Yeah. I think that was the best one. And I think the worst one was, again, Lestat, where he's in that stripe on stripe on stripe. Oh, come on. You got to that's oh, you got to give him some props for pulling that, that off. That was a I did not like that. I mean, I thought it was a, a, a the styling. I'm not running down the costume department. I just so that one was I feel like for you me. kind of are. No, that was a that was a no. Pushed further and further off that couch. That was a no for me. Okay, best scene. So for me, picking the best scene was super hard because there were just so many good ones. So I kind of just thought about like what what stuck with me the most, and it was the dabble and fuckery scene. Mm -hmm. That's a great one. Yeah, where he just you know runs down that alley and jumps on that guy and. Gives him a little bit of uh, what he had coming. Worst scene for me. If anyone is shocked by this, I'm going to be shocked. Fucking champagne daddy. <laughs> the, whole, the whole lot of it. Could have done without that stupidity. For me, the best scene. Hmm. I think the first scene in the church. When oh, that's a good one. When Lestat turns Louis, that's a great scene. I think that's going to be my best scene. But there were so many. I mean, I am spoiled for choice because yeah. I could easily have said, Lestat's death scene. I could have said the all of the brutal murders and in, in the Mardi Gras after party. I mean, there were so many. I would have guessed for you. I would have guessed tickets, please. No, nope, that's sure. but hang on. Um, worst scene for me was Bruce with Claudia because mm -hmm. I think that was egregious and an unnecessary. I liked it right up until the point when he sexually assaults her. And then it goes awry for me because it didn't, it's just to me a trope that's overused and should be done with. So that's worst scene for me. I'm going to go with what I think was one of the best pieces of acting in this series. Of course. Yeah. Oh, that's classic. The of course scene. The of course scene. Yes. Of, of course. Kind of like, 
Sure, you can have sex with anybody you want to. That would be great. I really didn't think this through <laughs> yeah, to this its conclusion. This didn't go the way I was expecting it to. <laughs> I thought I should be able to do it, but not you. Why would you want to have variety? Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. And that also is the scene where that contains that manic laugh that he does that yeah. Lestat is known for, you yeah. know, in the vampire yeah. Lestat, he's known for his, his wild laughing. And I think that that was such a great scene. You're not wrong. That was a good scene. I think worse. I think I'm going to actually agree with you. The killer Bruce scene. It just wasn't a good scene. I mean, it wasn't, I didn't find that character that interesting. Okay. Basically. Best and worst episode. So my least favorite episode was episode four because I was a tad disappointed with Claudia. But my favorite episode was episode seven because I was wildly impressed with Claudia. So my favorite episode, let's see. I think I'm going to say that I'm going to say episode one was my favorite of them. I just going with the biggest number of listens. I just loved the way that this story unfolded the early and the, the time that was taken. And I'm telling you that script was fantastic. So I'm going to go with episode one as my favorite. And then my least favorite five, which is the one in which Claudia was assaulted. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say my favorite episode is actually the last one. I think that it was just so packed with, you know, narrative, you know, moving forward. A lot of things were resolved and they've set it up perfectly for next year. So I'm going to go with that as my favorite. I'm going to say my least favorite is whichever one Christina liked the best, which (laughs) is episode one. No, I loved episode one. I guess I'll say mm, probably after the Phantoms of Your Former Self. It's a good episode. It's just not my favorite. I would like to point out to my partners here and to AMC (laughs) that I am overwhelmingly positive on every single episode and every character and every plot choice you guys made. (laughs) Okay, Mark. Yeah, just saying. When we say least favorite, it's right. not that we hate it. No. It's just that it was the one that didn't stand out or stood out the least to, to right. us. Okay, fair enough. All right, so this one will be fun. What is your best line? I could not decide on best line. This was the one that gave me the most trouble because obviously I, I narrowed it down to four. So Ooh. I had Jesus Christ. I know, but this, I'm gonna I'm gonna I did finally pick one, but these were the four the three that didn't that I almost picked. Tickets, please. Just because that lives in my head rent free. <laughs> when Louie talked about getting face, only because that's a new term that I've learned and I absolutely love it and, you know, employ that in my daily vocabulary now. Dabble in fuckery, fuck around and find out the 1910 version. But I went with this line from Louis, and it was from episode one. And it's when he's sitting with Lestat and, and uh, Lily at the Fair Play Saloon, and he's recounting the story to Daniel. And he said, I wanted to be the man and I wanted to murder the man or vice versa. And if you think about that line, that really encapsulated the entire season. He did, in a way, want to be like Lestat. He uh, tried. He tried to be a killer and realized he couldn't be a killer. So he had to, you know, eat the animals. And in the end, he did end up, you know, attempting to murder him. So while he failed at both, at being him and murdering him, did kind of foreshadow, you know, some things that were coming. 
So that's why I chose that line to be my favorite. My least favorite, it's two words, bad daddy. Bad daddy. Oh. <laughs> It'll always be bad daddy. But, you know, that was say cringe. Okay, bad daddy is my worst line, too. Yeah, that's awful. <laughs> bad daddy, yeah. just ugh. my favorite was tickets, please. So good. Yeah. And it's because of the way. That's the way he delivers that line. I love that. Squelch, I, squelch, I, squelch. Yeah, yeah. And he's, and he's, it's just, and his, his little hippity hop that he did. Hop, I, the, all of that. The way that that line was delivered, perfection. Bad daddy, absolutely not. Please never say that again. I can't. And you know what? There's a gift for it. And I can't, I can't. There were so many beautiful turns of phrase in yeah. this. I love yeah. all of the words, but those are my two that stood out. Gotcha. But for me, it's when they're in the coffins and he goes, Louis, I don't want to go to bed mad. Let's talk. Oh, right, right. That whole scene. Yeah. It's the classic. Let's, uh, we need to talk. Let's, mm -hmm. let's chat this out before mm -hmm. you know, we retire for the night in our fucking coffins. Mm -hmm. I would like to point out. So it was very, it was just a very human line mm -hmm. out of these, you know, horrific monsters mm -hmm. that it just very much amused me. Mm -hmm. Worst line, bad daddy's. Very, very bad. I'm just going to say everything Antoinette ever said. That's <laughs> Fair my, enough. That's my worst one. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I think that one of the the most horrific ones she said was something about his burnished complexion. That was, I thought that was a little bit toned up, but there we are. So, Joe, you you've totaled up body counts. I did. And um, all right. So what do we what do we know about the body counts? All right. So in third place, we have Louis Dupont Dulac with 11 confirmed kills. Now, and how many of those were in the Rodentia family? <laughs> most were most were animals or, you know, most were rats or cats. But no, so I only counted things that I we saw with our own eyes. So keep that in mind as I tell you who number two is, Claudia. Oh. Who also has 11 confirmed kills. Well, she has a, uh, she had 56. But we don't see them, but we didn't see them. That's what I'm saying. We can't, if, if we counted her 56, we have to, uh, you know, account well, you for the fact the that bodies, we stopped that on it. They floated yeah, up to, to the no, 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 no. Your methodology is very suspect. Go back. No, no. Go back to episode one when we initially started talking about this and we said it was only going to be confirmed. Well, I think you can confirm kills see. if they bob up from the bottom of the lake. But okay. But then I can also confirm that, you know, Lestat killed two people a day. I'm not going to sit here and do the math on how many years. Nope, you don't know that. You can skip a day. It could be on diet. Well, whatever. So Louis and Claudia, 11, because it's all we saw. Obviously, there was more for both of them. Our most vicious on-screen killer is Lestat with 17 confirmed Wow. Kills. Even though he's really in second place. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let me throw one in on you. What do you think was the best, most satisfying kill, Mark? Uh, I did like it when Louis took out the uh, the alderman. Yeah, the I like Fennec when yeah, he hung him yeah, on I the like, gate. I like when he. Well, I'm not necessarily in favor of the uh, end zone celebration there, but <laughs> I, the kill itself was pretty good. Okay. Because he, he made sure he knew he was what was going to happen to him. He knew he was going to go out. He let him shoot him a couple of times, which is kind of a Badass. pretty a big power move. Yeah. Right. And then just fucking took him out. Uh, the most satisfying kill, very easy for me, 
Antoinette. They put that little shrimp on the Barbie and she was bye-bye. Okay. Wow. All right. For me, it was uh, misogynistic there, Joni. It was um, whatever. She she was in between, you know, the Louis and Lestat. She was a whore. I know because you you shipped them, so I do. Uh, Okay. For me, it's Jaw Guy. I'll never oh, forget yeah. that. They ripped his fucking <laughs> mandible off. I will off. never forget that. Christina, worse than, worse than the priest who got the full fist through his brain? I see. Now I closed my eyes for that. Yeah, she You're definitely skipped that one. I didn't, I didn't watch that, but I will tell you that that jaw guy, that is still tormenting me. It yeah. was, it was see a lot. See that one over and over yeah. in your head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're confirmed for season two. Thank God. Otherwise, this podcast would be very short lived. (laughs) What do you expect from season two, Christina? Mm, I think we are going to see Lestat by himself. I think we're going to see his history. And I think we're going to see at some point where the hell he is in the present day. I think we'll also see a little bit of maybe we'll get to see those who must be kept because they were just foreshadowed in this last mm-hmm. episode. So I think we'll we'll see a little bit of those who must be kept. I definitely think we're going to see a lot of Armand and Louis relationship and we're going to find out what happens to Claudia. Joanne, what do you think is going to happen in season two? Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Claudia fares. We know that they've taken major departures from the original story. It's not completely out of the realm of possibility, Mark, that Claudia lives somehow, some way. Um, very unlikely, <laughs> but it's possible. Um, so I'm excited to see where, where we go with her. I'm very interested to see, you know, this song and dance that they did with Rashid slash Armand and why he was portrayed the way that he was portrayed at first, why he hid. I'm super excited about what went on in the 70s with Daniel Armand and Louis, all of that. Um, excited for, will Daniel get turned? Will we find that out in this uh, season two? There's a lot of stuff I want to see in season two. Of course, Lestat, just being Lestat, I don't care. He could be reading the phone book at this point. I'll be okay. <laughs> as long as he's just on screen looking totally adorable, I'm good. You know, I'd like to see Louis get some help, but I don't think that's going to happen. I'd like to see Louis see a therapist and just really, you know, work out why he's so Louis. I wonder if Daniel is going to be in some way Louis, Louis savior or mirror. Could be. You know, maybe Daniel is Louis mirror. We'll, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, I that that wouldn't be canon, but be interesting to see what happens there. I do not think we're going to see a lot of Lestat's time in Paris. Because how are we going to know that? Louis going to tell Daniel about it? Because that's the conceit here, right? Is that these scenes are being shown because this is what Daniel is being told in the story. Mm. Now, it's possible that at some point they will come up with a way to get Lestat's story out there. Maybe Armand tells it or Louis has learned it from Armand or they just learned it some other way. It's possible. I think we're going to see Paris. I think, think we're going to see uh, La Traite des Vampires mm-hmm. and Claudia's ultimate demise. I don't know how much we're going to see Lestat in season two. I'm sure some because they're not going to waste Sam Reed, right? So I don't know how they're going to do it exactly. 
Unless Sam Reed comes in in the beginning and says, well, you know what? What you've heard here is yeah. maybe not all the truth. Stop the presses. <laughs> this is bullshit. <laughs> Let me tell you the real story. They'll figure out a way. All right. Well, I think um, maybe we've come to the end of the episode here. We want to give you all who are listening a heartfelt thank you. Thanks. We do a lot of joking around, but very seriously the fact that we have fun doing this is great the fact that other people enjoy what we're doing is so rewarding so thank you very much loads my mind i love it i know it really does so we are sincerely very grateful for your listens and we hope that you'll stick with us during the hiatus and if nothing else come back and listen to us when the witches start but we promise that we're gonna have a lot of cool stuff in between and after the witches as well so Thank you very much. And Joe, do you want to take us out? Sure. We have a new social media account on Instagram. You can follow us at vampire underscore insider underscore podcast. I know it's long, but that's what was available. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Vampire Insider. You can find us on Reddit. Search Vampire Insider. You see a trend here. On Twitter, we are at vampire underscore insider. And you can also follow our personal accounts. Christina is at Christina Gen X. Mark is at Mark Eats Peach. And I am at just block me underscore one. Thank you guys for listening. And we look forward to all the fun stuff we have planned between now and the Mayfair Witches. Have a great night. Bye. Peace out, you delicious walking blood bags. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's better than Cub Scouts. Can you imagine, like, like, let's say we're interviewing Sam Reed, and, and he says something, and I just get up and say, hang on, everyone. I slap him across the face. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're acting, you're acting like you're even making it onto the couch with us. <laughs> okay, well, let's say Mark. <laughs> oh, oh, now us. Now I'm going on the couch. Oh, okay. I got look green. Oh, no. I, I'm, when I say us, I mean me and the actors. Oh, from- you meant you Sam, Bailey, and Jacob? I see. Vampire Insider is a conceptual Ozone LLC podcast produced and edited by Christina LaRusso. Please direct all business inquiries to vampireinsider at gmail.com. All rights reserved.